For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The last phrase of the Lord's Prayer we will uh, consider today in our scripture is from Psalm 98. It's found on page 935, page 935, Psalm 98. And as we prepare to hear God's word, let's pray. Lord our God, your word is life. Your word brings life to our lives. As we read it, as we meditate on it, and as it impacts our lives, fill us with the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He's remembered His love and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. We won't find the last words of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Our NIV Pew Bibles puts the words, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In a footnote. These words were not in Matthew's original gospel. They were added. But they fit. These words soar to recapitulate the prayer. God's kingdom. God's power. God's glory. This is what the Lord's Prayer is about. Early Christians adopted these words They may have worshipped behind closed doors. They lived under the threat of imperial Rome. But they could pray with certainty because God had raised a crucified Jesus to new life. Rome oppressed, but God sustained them. Rome wielded power, but it was no match for God's power. To pray these words defies any other power. To pray these words depends on God's power to sustain. God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We stand on this side of Jesus' resurrection knowing that God brought salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Come and see, said the angel. New life has come. See the new thing God has done. Psalm 98 beckons us. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He's done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He's remembered His love and His faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Come and see. God has made salvation known. God brings salvation as promised to His people. God saves as He said He would when the first man and woman sinned. At that time, God said to the tempting serpent, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And ever since, God has been working out salvation. God covenanted with a people. God condescended to take our flesh. He became human to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus reveals God's kingdom, power, and glory. Jesus was born under the one many called the King of Kings. Augustus Caesar's rule stretched from Jerusalem to Gibraltar, from the Black Sea to Britain. This Caesar brought a peace that no one had seen for over 200 years. But of course, his peace came at a price. Tributes of cash flowed into the emperor's coffers. People paid, whether they liked it or not. And power was held by one man, Caesar Augustus. He had absolute power. His was the glory. The glory of an empire built on the backs of others. Jesus entered this world of powers. Jesus came to bring God's salvation. He brought the kingdom of God as a direct alternative to the kingdoms of this world. Many thought his kingdom was a dangerous alternative. So Jesus paid the price. In conflict with the powers that be, the words of Isaiah came to rest on him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The way of God's salvation is not an easy path. Jesus shows us a way unlike anything the world has to offer. He paid the price to secure our salvation. He faced the oppressive rulers to bring us peace. The Heidelberg Catechism points us toward this truth. Notice the first part of its answer. The question is, what does your conclusion to this prayer mean? And let's say it all together. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever means. We have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. Jesus was willing and able to take the path needed to bring God's good to us. I mean, consider the petitions of the prayer in the life of Jesus. Notice how Jesus brings the gifts of God's salvation. Come and see. We pray, hallowed be your name. And Jesus shows up. Word made flesh. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus brings the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven as he obeys his Father's will. We pray, give us today our daily bread. And here is Jesus, the bread of life, who fills our lives with all we need. He heals the blind, the lame, the demon-possessed. He feeds the hungry. We pray, forgive us our debts. And Jesus bears the debt of our sin. He takes our sin upon Him and He carries it to the cross. 
We pray, lead us not into temptation. And Jesus enters temptation. All that evil has to throw at him so that we are protected. On the cross, Jesus reveals the essence of God's goodness. Come and see on the all-powerful king, willing and able to save us. The Lord has made his salvation known. God has given us all that is good. The ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So this day of resurrection, we shall praise to God for his good news. Death is not the end of the story. Salvation is confirmed. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that the kingdom, power, and glory of God. The Heidelberg Catechism continues in its answer. Again, the question is, what does your conclusion to this prayer mean? And again we say, for the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever means your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. God's holy name is to be praised. Not the name of some earthly ruler. We lift the name of Jesus. His resurrection overturns the empire of Caesar. All of its brute force, its uncertain peace. The resurrection of Jesus takes down the empires of this world and raises the kingdom of God. He proves that the way of weakness, suffering, and humiliation is the way God works. The Apostle Paul reminds us of God's power with these upside-down words. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So different from our world. In our world, we reward the winners with power and glory. Not the losers. But Jesus shows God's glory rising from the way of suffering, weakness, and humiliation. Can you imagine a political campaign run on the slogans of suffering, weakness, and humiliation? Rulers of this world use the words weak, suffer, and humiliate to refer to their enemies. Some presidential candidates demean and humiliate to get ahead. But here's Jesus' campaign for God's kingdom. He takes a basin and a towel and he washes his disciples' feet. The servant's towel is one of the greatest revelations of God's power and strength in the scriptures. Jesus identified with those who are loveless, those on the margins. He took his place with the dispossessed, the dehumanized, the abandoned. Jesus didn't bring the kingdom, power, and glory of God according to the world's expectations. Look at the story. In the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks of being glorified as he heads to his death, as the time of his death approaches, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And if the glory of God is revealed in Jesus' servant attitude, 
and His death on the cross, how much more is the glory of God revealed in His resurrection? Because the resurrection of Jesus opens the door for us to boldly pray the prayer that Jesus taught. Our world operates by rules other than God's kingdom. But where these kingdoms clash, the resurrection shows us that God's kingdom prevailed. Our Father in heaven is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. His name is to be hallowed. His kingdom is over all. God rules by His word and spirit to overcome the devil's conspiracy. God's will is our way of life. Death is the way of this world. Life comes to those who reject their death-producing wills and choose for God's way of life. In this life with God, we find that God provides bread for each day as we learn to depend on God's tender care. And grace, we live in God's grace, forgiven and forgiving. We're protected from temptations and our own flirtations with evil and the evil one. See, the amazing gift of Jesus' resurrection is that we can pray these words boldly. We implore the God of all power and glory to act, not because we are worthy, but in the name of our resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus. We pray for God to do what only God can do. Not on the basis of our strength, because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. John Calvin once said, For if our prayers were to be commended to God by our worth, who would dare even mutter in His presence? Now, however, miserable we may be, though unworthiest of all, however devoid of all commendation, we will yet never lack a reason to pray. Never lack a reason to pray. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. And we pray with bold confidence because we know that only God can do what we ask. We pray boldly because of the life that God grants us through the resurrection of Jesus. God is worthy of all honor. As Psalm 98 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. The Lord, our God, is King. Only our Father can do what needs to be done. Only our Father can hallow, can bring, can do, can give, can forgive, can lead, can deliver. And our Father does so because we ask. Not on the basis of our worth, not on the basis, but only on the basis of His Son, the one He raised from the dead. And that truth of the resurrections leads us right back to doxology. For yours is the kingdom. For yours is the power. For yours is the glory forever. On this day of resurrection, we shout praise to God for His good news. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And just one more word. Amen. This is sure to be. The Lord's Prayer ends by pointing us toward God's sure future. The joy that we experience in this day of resurrection is not short-lived. God brought His future into our present with the resurrection of Jesus so that we live in our present sure of a forever future with God our Father. The whole creation responds with joy for the Lord will complete what He started.
Let the sea resound in everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. This is sure to be. The resurrection of Jesus points forward to that day when God will restore everything to the way it should be. All that is broken will be turned toward goodness or what the Bible calls righteousness. And then the whole earth will be filled with God's glory. The whole creation will be joined in one purpose to praise and adore the Creator and our Redeemer. This is our hope. God's kingdom forever. God's power forever. God's glory forever. When we say that simple word, Amen, we're expressing our confidence that God will come through. Again, the Heidelberg Catechism makes our hope clear. The question is, what does that little word Amen express? And we say together, Amen means this will truly and surely be. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. Amen is an affirmation. When we say that, it means our hearts assent to everything we've prayed for. We haven't been just mouthing words. We aren't on some kind of autopilot uttering empty phrases. When we say amen, we declare that what we've prayed for is what we want. We want God's holiness to shine. We want God's will to be done in His kingdom to come. We want to trust God to provide for us. We want to be forgiven and to forgive our neighbors. We want God's strength to protect us against evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But more than this, more than simply saying these words, we act toward them. It's the direction of our lives. This prayer Jesus taught us shapes our lives. We want His kingdom, power, and glory to be seen throughout the world. We are anointed by Jesus' Spirit to act in this world as people of Jesus Christ, the true King, the resurrected Lord. We can't pray this prayer and then acquiesce to the ways of the world. We can't pray this prayer and then be subverted to other kingdoms. We pray this prayer anointed by Jesus' Spirit to act in the radical ways of weakness, suffering, and humiliation. But ultimately, we pray this prayer because we take God's promises seriously. We have a believing confidence that that God listens to our prayers. Our actions pale in comparison to God's forever faithfulness. Maybe we don't feel like praying. Still we pray. Because our feelings come and go. But God never goes off duty. God always hears. We may not know how to pray as we ought, but God is always steadfast in His love. And so God hears and responds. I think William Temple got it right. He once said, When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, 
the coincidences stop happening. It's not that prayer is magic. Rather, when we say, Amen, we are praying in trust in the one who defeated the powers of this world with the power of the cross. We pray confidently in the name of the one who was raised to new life and who brought us life. For the kingdom is God's. God is sovereign over all, always has been, always will be. For the power is God's. All power, power to do whatever God chooses, even raising from the dead. For the glory is God's. The glory of a creation, rivers and mountains, shouting for joy to God, for He has done marvelous things. We pray to our Father to do what only the Father can do. We pray that our Father would do on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. This is sure to be. On this resurrection day, and on every day, we can pray boldly to our Father in heaven. So now together, let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.